praying for Miracle Hope. I, I, I'm going to say stuff like I know it, but, but I don't know everything. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if I know anything. So I think I know some stuff. I mean, I've not been in church my whole life. I've not been in very many churches at all, really. To go to church, only two churches in my life, um, you know, two churches that I feel pretty darn good about, uh, the Freedom Center and this one. But I don't have the experience of 100 churches in a, in a lifetime of walking with the Lord. But I know that church isn't a, a, what we do, but it is what we do, but it's who we are. We're always first church. We're always first church. Even before I'm a dad, I'm church. Before I'm a husband, I'm church. I'm always church first. Jesus always got to be first priority. And, and 99 people out of 100 wouldn't want to be called out to be prayed for. It's like, oh, you know, I don't want to draw attention to myself. We got to get over that. That's just dumb. I mean... It's one thing if, if uh, you know, I shot myself in the foot because I didn't realize my gun was loaded and I really could use a miracle, but I don't really want everyone to know that I shot myself in the foot. But we're not talking about, oops, the gun went off and I blew my little toe off. We're talking about somebody who's told they're going to die, that their life's over. Someone who's young, who's not supposed to die now, who's not supposed to die for a long, long time. There's a whole list of works that God has prepared from the foundations of time for miracle to do that aren't done yet. See, one of the scriptures I'm going to read to you, maybe, is out of, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 18, and it's a, it's a parable about a widow and an unjust judge. And the widow uh, needs justice for some, I don't know what. And so she comes to this judge, and, and, and she demands justice. But the, the word teaches us that this guy, he doesn't respect men, he doesn't respect God, he could care less about her problem. But she comes again and demands justice, and she comes again and demands justice, and comes again and demands justice. And the guy finally says, I don't care about men, and I don't care about God, but this lady is going to wear me out. And he provided for her justice. And then Jesus goes on to explain the parable. See, sometimes my brain wants to see, okay, you know, we're the lady and God's the judge. But, well, no, God's not the judge that's unjust. God is the God that's just and merciful and graceful and true and everything that we could ever hope to be. But he's trying to teach us a principle that, that there's something in between us and God's will for us and God's will for his kingdom, for justice to happen. Even though God is all-powerful, there's nothing that is, is greater than God's power to make his will happen except for he makes his will happen in the ways that he makes his will happen. And one of the ways he makes his will happen is he gets his church, not just to say, oh, Lord, wow, man, that's really sad. That, that lady's going to die. Mm. Lord, I would just ask you not to let that lady die. No, he says that when his church cries out to him day and night, that justice will come quickly. Well, miracle doesn't have, like, I don't know how long she has. I don't know how long hospice was supposed to last. But you don't go to hospice when you've got 40 years to live, right? We need justice quick. And, and the reason that she needs the miracle is very, very unjust. Again, don't ask, but trust me in how unjust it is. Yes.
Oh, okay. Well, then you guess you can ask. You want to be in a chair when you ask, okay? Seriously. So, I wouldn't embarrass you. I mean, Miracle gave me permission to have the church pray because anything else is just, I wouldn't want to stand before God and say that, that he put me in a place to lead people in his will, but because I didn't want someone to feel uncomfortable that we had this little stealth prayer thing going instead of intercession going for somebody who needs to be interceded for. Old day, old year, old reality. Yesterday was yesterday. I, I say this a lot. God didn't give us eyes. Like some, if you see, like some creatures that God made, they got these eyes that can look at all different ways all the time, right? They can see back and frontwards and both sides at the same time. He didn't make us that way. He put our eyes on one side of our head. And he, and he, and he fitted us with legs and feet, and, and the feet aren't, like, centered on the, on the end of the leg. They're off-center. And, and it makes it very comfortable for us to move in this direction because that's the way our legs are designed, and that's the way our eyes point, but very uncomfortable for us to move this way because that's not the way our legs are designed and not the way our eyes point. Even our ears are pointed so we hear better from the front than from the back. 2011... Great year. Man, lots of good stuff happened. But that was then, and this is now. And it's time for us to move forward. That was an old year, an old day, an old paradigm. We need the new year, the new day, the new paradigm, the new reality. God's word, it's weird. It's always been true. It always will be true. It's never changed. It never will change. It's always absolutely true. But we don't always live it like it's true. We live like some parts of it are true and other people live like other parts of it are true, but we need to live it like it's all true. I don't mean this like a rebuke. Again, I mean, I'm not the guy that's been in the church for a thousand years, but the church isn't healthy. We have messed up relationships. Um, We have sickness and disease. We have um, disobedience. Oh, my gosh, we have apathy. That was an old day an old year and an old time, an old paradigm. This is a new day. We get to push the reset button on our faith on January 1st, 2012, and declare it a new day. Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus. Let me just give you a little context if you don't know. So Jesus is is starting his ministry. He's been baptized. He's been in the wilderness. He's been uh, tested and tempted by the devil, and he's shot him down every single time. He's gotten a blessing from his father. So this is my son, and him, and him I am well pleased. And then, bam, off into the wilderness he goes. He doesn't eat. Forty days. Satan, not, he doesn't send some low-level demon to pick on Jesus. Satan himself comes and tries to tempt him out of his destiny. Doesn't work. Jesus heads off into his ministry, back to Galilee, to the area, that, the region that he, that he grew up in, and to, to the city of Nazareth, which was his hometown. He walks into the synagogue. Right? It's like church there. They have the synagogue, the temple, and they have the synagogue. Right? So in the town, they go and they meet and they worship in the synagogue, teach in the synagogue. We like this place right here. He walks in and he opens up a scroll and it's Isaiah. And he starts to read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
And then he takes the book or the, the scroll and he closes it up. And he says, today in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. Now, I imagine what it must be like to be in the church when the Messiah shows up and declares himself the Messiah. When he says, all this stuff that you've been taught every, I don't know, Saturday, whenever it is you come to the synagogue or all week long, or you've been taught and you've been taught and you've been taught and, you, you know, Messiah's going to come, he's going to restore the kingdom. And Messiah shows up and says, closes the book, it's now, I'm him. How awesome would that be? But see, then he walked around for three years, he taught, he did ministry, he demonstrated, he was perfect. Then he offered himself as the perfect lamb sacrifice for the salvation of all of mankind, that in his sacrifice, the debt for all of our sin would be paid. He was beaten. He was humiliated. The thing was jammed into his head. The beard was plucked out of his face. He was, he's God. Now he didn't, he didn't access his divinity so that he could truly be that perfect lamb of God's sacrifice. But he's God down off the throne in the flesh of man. And mere men, created beings, are spitting on him and ridiculing him and driving nails through his hands and through his feet, beating him with a cat of nine tails, ripping the flesh off his body. And he died dead so that we could live live. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected to life. And he taught some more. Just before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gave us what we call the Great Commission. He said, now go. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, man was given the authority for this place, and we gave it to Satan. Satan told Jesus, all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you. They were given to me. They're mine now. I'll give them to you. But Jesus defeated Satan. And all authority was given to him. He says, now in my authority, my Jesus' authority, go. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. Teach them all these commands that I've given you. He sent us to go. So what does that mean? That means now we're Jesus. Right? He said, it's better that I go than that I stay. Because if he stays, he's going to be Jesus, sinless, powerful in the Holy Spirit, but in man flesh. He can only be in one place at one time. He could be transported, right? Go across the lake in a second. Better than maybe us. I don't know. But he's still just one guy, Jesus. But because he went, the helper came. Because the helper came, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the power and the authority that Jesus had. That's the new paradigm that's been the always paradigm that we haven't always walked in. I talked about this power, right? There's the, the power of God is absolute. There's no greater power, right? He, he, he spoke words. He was giving me this thought when I was praying for miracle. Lord, you just spoke and stuff happened, and she needs new organs, new blood. You could just say organs, blood, and they would just be there because there's so much power in your spoken word to create. But there's a power that is equal to that power to neutralize that power. And it's not spiritual. It's not from heaven. It's not from hell. It could be influenced from hell, quite honestly. But it's, it's the power of choice. So we need to choose. We need to decide today. 
push the reset button on our faith. I, I mean, I grew up as a computer salesman, so reset button, right? You push the reset button, and the thing quits working. You hit the reset button, and it starts all over again, and it works how it's supposed to. We push the reset button on our faith. And so what if we choose us to proclaim that this is the favorable year of the Lord? What if we choose us to live our days like the Spirit of the Lord is upon us? Like it was on Jesus. If you're not sure what it looks like, read the Gospels. Find some red letters, read them, and you'll see what it's like, and then you go do that. How about if we choose to exercise the anointing and preach the Gospel to the poor? You see, because the anointing is the Holy Spirit that we're full of, that, that we're, we're covered with. What if we just did that? What if we stop wondering about it? What if we heard this little voice, still and small, that said, it's your uncle's time, get on an airplane and go. Probably not even that much, right? What am I doing? Where am I supposed to go? What are you thinking? I'm thinking I'm supposed to go to Georgia and share Jesus with my uncle. Where are you now? I'm standing at the gate. Praise God. Go. What if we did that? Man, I just, hmm, that was so wonderful. What if we choose to proclaim release to the captives, including us? My chain's going to get broken. I'm losing these chains. I got flesh. I mean, lots of flesh, but I'm not talking about that. I mean, I got flesh that needs to die. Chains that hold me back. I'm done with those chains. What if we choose to open blind eyes and set free those that are oppressed? You see, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. What if we choose to know the truth and be free? Right? Scripture teaches us that, that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The existence of truth does not make us free. Truth has existed eternally because God is truth. His word always was and it always will be. But we're not free because truth exists. We're free because we know truth. And when we confront lies, we compare it with truth and we get set free because we believe truth and not lies. But what if we don't know the truth? What's even worse? What if we don't know the truth and think we're free? Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our example of perfection. The King of kings and the Lord of lords said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. What if we choose to serve? What would it be like if we choose to serve? I mean, listen, I'm painting with a really broad brush, right? I mean, some of you guys, if you served anymore, you'd, I don't know, you wouldn't, ha- you wouldn't have any time to sleep. And others of you, you know, you really need to get in the game. So, so, you know, here that I'm painting with a broad, broad brush, but what if we decided to walk the way the Lord walked and, and saw ourselves not as somebody to be served, but as a person whose object in life is to serve? What if we choose to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? What if we choose to be different? See, we won't be renewed in our minds if we choose not to. If we choose the world and not the Lord, we will stay a person that looks like the world. But what if we choose different? What if we said today, this day, we only get it once every seven years where you get to get preached at, that I get to be preaching on a Sunday that's the first day of the year. Let's push the reset button. Let's decide that we're going to be different. And then let's hold each other accountable. Because 
it's not going to be easy to do this break every chains thing. There's going to be a Wednesday night when you don't want to come. There's going to be probably most Wednesday nights when you don't want to come. There's, yeah, yeah. What's the downside of having that once every seven years experience? <laughs> and then you're going to see when you're tested. Now, listen, if you're not here, I'm not saying that you should have been here and there wasn't a good reason. I, I know there's good reasons. I really do. But we've got to decide, is it important to us? Because it's going to be work. It's going to be work. Bless you. It's going to be hard. It's not always going to be glorious. There's not always going to be whatever. But there will be glory. I promise you there will be glory. Because God says if you seek him with all your heart, with everything that you have, you'll find him. Can you imagine? Pastor Burke, I know some of you might not know, Pastor Burke, the founding pastor of Fenton First Assembly of God, which is just, it's the same church. It's changed the name to the Freedom Center. Passed away last week. 85, I think, years old. Man, the crustiest hard-nosed Christian guy you ever met. He wouldn't compromise the Lord for anything. There's nothing that I could imagine anybody could do to get that guy to compromise the Lord. Can you imagine what it must be like to be Pastor Burke right now? I mean, he had a picture of Jesus. He knew the scriptures. He prayed. He'd go sit out in his yard where it was quiet and the Lord would speak to him. He had an intimate relationship with Jesus, but nothing like he has now. There's glory. There's glory here and there's more glory there. So, this is the part I almost took out. We talked about you moms and you dads, especially you dads, being responsible for um, the spiritual discipleship of your families. Wives coming alongside the dads, children coming underneath, walking by example, teaching, knowing, understanding. In the same way, each and every one of you is responsible for your walk with the Lord. I pray that you read your Bible. I do. I read my Bible every day. I read it. I pray that God would give me knowledge, that he would give me understanding, that he would continue to give me revelation. But, man, if I mess up and you don't read your Bible and you stand before God and you're one of those Lord, Lord people, Lord, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out or prophesy? Jesus says, I never knew you. That's on you. Probably some of that's on me too, but, but you got to get into heaven based upon your walk with the Lord. you got to know him for you, and he's got to know you. You're responsible for you, but we're all responsible for each other. In the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There's a wide path. It's a fun path. It's awesome. You could do whatever you want on that path. For however many days you get on this earth, you could have all the sinful pleasure that you like. You can talk bad about people. You can curse Jesus. You can, you can do whatever you want. But that road leads to a place you don't want to go, it's to a gate that you don't want to go through. The way to life is narrow. And I'm talking skinny narrow. Doesn't mean that you can't you can't wander off that path a little bit and be okay if Jesus still owns your heart. But it's a skinny road. And and if you read about discipleship, when you're reading your gospels, you look what Jesus says about being a disciple and get a sense for how skinny that road is. But your obligation to me is to know me well enough to notice if I'm wandering off that road a little bit and have the courage and love to tell me that it doesn't look like you're on the narrow path right now. 
How can I help you back? Your obligation to me is that if I've fallen into some kind of crazy place and it takes 90% you and 10% me to get me back on that thing, you need to do it. And I promise you, I'll do it for you too because it's my obligation to each and every one of you. And it's your obligation to each other because we are not an island unto ourselves. We are pieces and parts of a body. If I'm suffering, you're suffering and you just don't know why. If you're suffering, the same is true for me. But there are too many people who call themselves Christians that want other Christians to pick up their deadweight butts and drag them down the narrow path. That is not my obligation to you or your obligation to me. You've got to get in the game if you're not in the game. And if you're in the game, you've got to get more in the game. There's always more of God to be revealed if we will press in and go find it. Your first calling is church. Your first calling isn't entertainment. Your first calling isn't convenience. Your first calling isn't mom or dad or, or worker in this company or none of that stuff. Your first calling is church. And our job with each other is to love each other and to be, man, I, I, sorry, a, a little quick dory trail because I'm painting this yucky picture that's not really, I'm just trying to shake us a little bit. So we'll push hard on the reset button. So we're at a thing on uh, Friday night. And you're going to hear this testimony from them. But a guy shares about a situation in his family that has been nasty for a long time. And he's gone and he's made it right with a family member. And then his wife, I don't remember, both of them or or the wife, but they said, what made this so much easier is because we come to church and everyone loves us. And we don't feel like anyone would ever judge us. That's the environment that we have to have. That's the heart that we have to have because if, if you're afraid of being judged, you don't let somebody come and bring you up in front and, and tell, whoa, you know, this is going on in my life. You don't do it. You don't go out and fix the thing in your family because your identity is found in what somebody else is going to say if, every, if other people will judge. But if, if people will receive you and accept you based upon Jesus Christ, then you can do anything because your identity is not found in what I think about you or what somebody else thinks about you. We sow in Jesus, what he says, what the Lord says is your identity into you. Everybody's got to do their part. Everybody's got to learn the scriptures. Everybody's got to pray. Everybody's got to fight the good fight. Good fight. Second Peter 2.22 reads, man, this is when you really, I'll put my notes on the internet that you really need to read in context, but Peter Peter says, It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. When we break the chains and we and we and we vomit this nasty stuff out of our lives, the devil's going to try to get you to go back and eat from that pile. Don't. When you've been washed clean, stay clean. You can walk in holiness, just like Jesus walked in holiness. Because you have the Holy Spirit and you have Jesus intercessing for you, interceding for you, excuse me, daily, minute by minute by minute, praying for your holiness. Don't let the devil tell you that you're a, a victim to sin because you're not. Okay. So then I have this list of questions. Are you ready to be more? I mean, only way you can be more is, is, to, is to be less. So are you ready? There's a better question, really. I should have wrote it that way. Are you ready to be less? I love that. Are you ready to die, be dead people? That's it. Man, if we can be dead people, then we can be live people. 
But if we don't let the parts that need to be crucified and die, die, there's no place for Jesus to be big in us. Who gets exalted in the kingdom? Who person gets exalted in the kingdom? The humble. So, so if we're going to hold ourselves up, there's no place for Jesus to lift us up. But if we'll humble ourselves, then he will raise us up. And it's good to be exalted. It's not a pride issue. It's a kingdom issue. Are you ready to see the glory come? Are you ready to be free? Are you ready for power? I am. Bigger question is, are you ready to do the work? Are you ready to surrender, to exercise the discipline? Okay. So all that is kind of the what. Here's the how. We learned a little bit a couple weeks ago when we talked about confessing sin. Sin's a big deal. It's a chain that's got to be broken in our lives. And, And that process... I mean, not like that process was never ongoing, but that process was confronted face on when you guys had the courage to confess one to another, to come up here in front of everybody else. They don't know what your sin was, but they know you had something because you came up here and confessed it. See, when you put it in the light, it takes so much of the power of the enemy away from him. So we learned that if we confess our sins one to another, that we can be healed, that we can have more. Let's see. I already told you the scripture about the, it's Luke 18, 2 through 8, about the widow and the judge. I won't go back through that for time's sake. But there's two key principles that we need to get out of there. One is persistence. You can put that scripture up there, though. Put the, uh, yeah, two key principles we need to get out. One is persistence. The lady was persistent. She continually, she didn't say, oh, God, It just must be your will for me to be in whatever this bad situation is. I'll just endure it. She said, no, I'm going to continue and continue and continue. I'm going to press and press and press. And God is telling us that's the way the kingdom works. It's not because God is slow. It's not because God is weak. It's because there's an economy that he's established for this place that requires us to press through hard things. For what reason, I don't know. But it's, it's true because he teaches us it's true. So even if we don't understand the why of the process, we can understand the process and we walk the process, right? All right. Persistence and crying out to the Lord. So when we pray together by ourselves, we have to ask the Lord for, I don't know what the right word is, an agony, something that would cause us to cry. If we don't care enough to cry, to, 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 to cry out to God for justice where there's injustice, if, if it's not painful to us, then we're not praying the way he's teaching us to pray. So we need him to help us to have a passion to connect. Right. Oh, that's so good. That's why I asked Renee to sit out here. See, if I, or Renee, excuse me, I don't know Renee. I only know Miracle. But see, if I say, hey, there's this lady, and they told her she's going to die and she needs to go to hospice, will you pray for her? You would because I asked you to, because you're nice people, you'd pray. But you know who she is. You don't have any relationship. You don't have a connection. But if you, you can't look at a person in the face and have Jesus inside of you and not connect differently when you pray for them. That was it. Connect is excellent. Okay, um, the second how of the process, at least so much that the Lord has revealed so far, is in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. This is... Um, The context of this is King Solomon 
is dedicating the temple. So, so the temple was destroyed, and they rebuilt this beautiful temple. Well, no, there wasn't a temple. It was a tabernacle before. Anyway, they build this amazing temple for God. Beautiful. And uh, they've had all these feasts, like thousands and thousands of animals have been sacrificed to the Lord. And the Lord is speaking. And I, I never understood the context of his words. It's weird. I've told you I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be a context reader versus a sentence-by-sentence reader. But reading sentence-by-sentence, sentence, awesome scripture, but I never understood the context. Unless you look back to chapter 6 and you read Solomon's prayer to the Lord. And he says, but Lord, what if this and what if that and what if these other things and what if you did all this stuff because of that stuff? So all of a sudden they've, they've uh, dedicated the temple. They've made all these sacrifices to the Lord. The Lord says that I'm going to make this my place where I'm going to dwell. And then he answers Solomon's prayer from chapter 6. And it goes like this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So he's, he's explaining how the process works. I don't think the process, I don't think the principles of what he's teaching are different now than they were then. So what do we learn? First, he said that if his people, we got to be his people, right? To be his people, we got to be saved, right? We are Israel. We are, we are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. See, to be Abraham's children is not by blood anymore. It's by faith. There are people that would be Jewish in their lineage that they could trace all the way back to Abraham that are not sons and daughters of Abraham in the context that God speaks to them as children. It's now by faith. So for us to be his people, we have to confess that we need him, that we're lost without him, that by faith we believe that he is the full payment for everything that separated us from God and that we would commit ourselves to him as Lord over our lives. So the first thing we've got to make sure is we're really his people. And, and today, if, if you've been saved for 50 years, then I would ask you to recommit yourself to the Lord today. Do you know that, that the very most people, that's not the right way to say it, that the people that witnessed Jesus the very, very most are the people that have just been saved? The crusty old veterans have been around a long, long time. Now, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. But statistically, people that have, that have actually gone off and studied this stuff say that the best, time, best likelihood that you're ever going to lead someone to Jesus is when you're first saved. And the reason why you see such a, a movement within the church to plant churches is that the, the percentage of people that get saved by churches is most when they're brand new, when they're brand new church plants. So we got to be his people. Second thing he teaches us is that we have to humble ourselves. So we're going to ask you to fast for the next month. Fasting should be um, a part of our Christian lifestyle all the time anyway. Um, we're going to ask you to fast. It's a way to humble ourselves. When you come on Wednesday night and pray and intercede and cry out to the Lord, it's a way of humbling yourselves. He says that we need to pray and seek his face. So we're going to do that. We're going to get together and we're going to pray, crying out for justice for chains to be broken. We're going to seek his face, and it's weird. I'm like, 
man, I heard a, a teaching on that one time. I really need to pull that out. And all of a sudden, the spirit voice spoke to me, presence. There's so much conversation about how important it is to be in the presence of God. Well, in his face is his presence. And, and in his presence is power, is the fullness of joy. Amen. Third thing, fourth thing, pray and seek God's face. Fourth thing is turn from our wicked ways. We need to repent. Seriously, we need to repent. We, we need to repent from anything that Scripture teaches us is outside of God's will for us. We need to be serious about what we're doing. So here's what we're going to ask you to do for the month of January, at least for the month of January. And some of you are going to be like, why are you dumbing down my walk with the Lord? If you're doing more, don't stop, please. <laughs> but you know, minimum daily requirement, be in the game. Here's what we're asking you to do. One day a week, just one day a week, any form of electronic entertainment, shut it off. Don't watch TV. Don't watch movies. Don't, okay, I'm not watching TV, but I got Netflix. No Netflix, no video games, none of that stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got lots of things you can do. You could read your Bible. You could talk to your children. You could pray. You could go for a walk. You could ask Jesus to reveal something to you. Take a day and fast, all of that kind of stuff, okay? Just one day a week, you pick. Also during the week, one day, fast all but one meal. So if you want to get up and eat a big breakfast, do that. Don't eat till the next day. You want to have a big lunch in the middle of the day, I don't care, dinner, whatever. But fast, sacrifice, humble yourself that you might have more space for the Lord. One day a week. I think Wednesday is going to be a good day. I think maybe Teresa and I will pick Wednesday and fast so that when we come here, we'll be hungry for the Lord. We'll have, we'll have a, a hole that needs to be filled, and the Lord will come and fill it up for us. One day a week, fast all but one meal. Every single day, 30 minutes of prayer. And if you're a couple or a family, do it together. Pray together. And, and when you pray together... Pray out loud. Don't be afraid to pray out loud. If you're afraid to pray out loud, I am telling you that the, that the devil is in your ear because you got something to say that the Lord wants to hear, that he wants to move on, and the devil is trying to get you to be self-conscious. If you're going to be self-conscious about something, don't let it be prayer, please. Find something else. 30 minutes a day, pray together. You, you're free to pray more, but at least 30 minutes a day. Pray things like this for God's presence. And understand, you're praying as part of a body. Deliverance, that God would bring deliverance. The chains be broken for my brothers and my sisters and for myself. Pray for fortresses. We talked about that in 2 Corinthians 10. We'll talk about that a bunch more in two weeks. That these fortresses in people's minds, these fortresses in our own minds, these, these patterns of thought that don't stand obedient to Christ would be torn down. Pray for spiritual gifts. Pray for spiritual gifts. God would not give us Holy Spirit gifts if we didn't need them. But we don't see them operating very much. I don't think it's because God doesn't want to. I think there's a dynamic. It says that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially these gifts that bring edification to the church, like prophecy. I'm crying out for miracles, healing, faith, because we've got a sister that needs it right now. Pray for spiritual gifts to flow. Pray for, and whenever you pray for the plus, pray, pray against the minus. So, so if there's some 
thing that's inhibiting spiritual gifts from flowing, pray against it. God, I, I, I pray against anything, any device of the enemy that would inhibit spiritual gifts from flowing in our congregation, in your whole church, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be fully manifest for the edification of the church and the growing of your kingdom. It's a good prayer. Um, every day reads God's word, every day, at least a chapter, more if you can, and for the next at least month, we're going to read the Gospels. I'm not going to tell you what to read. Just open them up and read wherever you want. They're all awesome. They're all about Jesus. And for the month of January, starting tomorrow, starting whenever you want to start, but today or tomorrow, you might get grace for today because it's a holiday, but certainly not after today. Fast sweets. Unless your doctor says that a donut a day keeps the doctor away, fast of sweets, something sacrificial. Now, some of you are like, I don't care for sweets. For me, that's a sacrifice. I'm starting to look like a donut a day. I have for a while. Okay, that's what we're going to ask you to do. Um, gosh, I'm, I really didn't think we would run so long today. It's a new year. It's a new day. It's a new paradigm. But it's not a new truth. It's an old truth. It's resolved today to be disciples. A couple more minutes. I have, this, I have this concern. It might not be real. That there are people in our congregation that I know that if they're not on their knees every single day, if they are not praying and worshiping and studying and reading the Bible, the wheels just come off their life. I mean... It takes so much pressing into the Lord just to get through a day. And there's other people that I know that I don't perceive if Jesus fell out of the sky and landed on their head, they'd know what hit them. But, but they don't appear to have those struggles. My concern is that, that the amount that will press into the breaking of these chains shouldn't be relative to the amount of chains we need broken. It should be because it's the right thing to do. And it's not the right thing to do for January. It's the right thing to do forever. We should have always been doing this. And I know it's hard to stay motivated. It's hard to to keep an excitement level. So we need to learn to do it without an excitement, just as 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 a function of practice and discipline. But I have this fear that there are going to be people in our group that are going to diminish what God wants to do because they'll be apathetic about not doing it, just you know, just out of apathy. Things are good. You know, my bills are paid. My kids are healthy. Got a job. Life's okay. Let's pray that none of us would be like that. This is for Teresa. I'm smiling because I just did a Bill Johnson thing right there. I just, <laughs> so many people watch Bill Johnson, so many preachers. I see Bill Johnsonisms all the time, and I'm like, man, I just need to be myself, and I just did a Bill Johnson right there. <laughs> Some of you probably recognized it. Okay. I just want to read one discipleship scripture to, to just kind of close out and, and help us all to understand. We, we tend to be overwhelmingly aware of grace overwhelmingly aware of mercy, constantly reminding ourselves in our sin how graceful God is, constantly remembering how merciful he is when we are disobedient to him. But 
the scriptures teach discipleship. And man, God is graceful. I mean, he is truly graceful and he is truly merciful. But he paints a standard for a disciple, which is what Jesus told us to go make, right? Not converts, but disciples. Not somebody that prays the prayer or believes even, and they're done. That's the, that's the first step, not the last step. He calls us to make disciples. And if he calls us to make disciples, he calls us to be disciples, right? So here's just a little, here's just a little something of what you're going to see as you're reading the Gospels over the course of the next four weeks. This in particular is from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. And it, it paints a pretty good Reader's Digest picture of Jesus' description of being a disciple. And he, Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, right, you get saved. You, you, you become Christian, at least for me. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I, I'm so afraid of hell that, that it's a huge motivation for me. So I want my life to be saved. He says, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Remember that wide path I told you about before? You can have it all, the whole darn thing, and forfeit your soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So to be a disciple is a very, very high calling. It's to deny yourself. But I don't want to pray. I want to watch TV. I don't want to fast. I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I'll do it next week double. That's not, not, deny, not denying yourself. Flesh battles against spirit for soul. We need to feed spirit. We need to crucify flesh so that soul will start to look like Jesus. Okay? All right. Yeah, do you want this? It's on. It's on. I just kept feeling like I was supposed to come up here and and, and just say that. Pat's so right on. There's one thing more to it, though. The disciples who walked with Jesus if you think about their relationship with him, they just wanted to be with him. They always wanted to be with him. They loved him. They, they just modeled their lives after. They wanted to please him, you know, because they understood that he loved them too. And that's the one thing that I felt impressed to say to is that it's a love relationship. And w- the reason it's so important to spend time in the Word is so that you can receive that love from Him. And so He knows all about you. And when you make a mistake, quit beating yourself up. Ask for forgiveness, repent, and move on. Because he already has, you know. I just want to read Psalm 139. 
And this is about you. So when you, when you hear me say you, that's you, okay? It says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. He knows you. He has searched you. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, because see, he's all about you. Whether you think about him all day long or whether you give him any time of the day or if, wh- whether you do, he's all about you every minute, every second of the day. You know, when I sit and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from, from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there, there's a word on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all, even before I speak it. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Guys, feel his hand upon your lives. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high, I can't attain it. Like Ken was so overwhelmed when he got down to Atlanta. Just even sharing the story this morning with to us, again, became overwhelmed because that love, that, that wonderful, that knowledge that he felt God's hand upon his life, upon him, it's, it's just too wonderful. It's overwhelming. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is another world, behold, you are there. He's everywhere. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay a hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as a day. Darkness and light are alike to you. That's the Lord. You see, he formed you. Says, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If you don't know what to pray, you thank him. Thank you, Lord, that you have made me fearfully and wonderfully. My soul, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and skillfully skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. There's more, but I think you get the gist of it. See, God loves us. He's with us always. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And his desire is that you would give that love back to him. And the way that we do that is exactly what Pat was saying. 
We rededicate our lives. But understand, just like when your children make a mistake and they say, I'm sorry, and you hug them and you love them, it's the same with God. So I just want you to understand that this is a love relationship. We do it because we love him. Because he first loved us, we love him. The more we love him, the more we receive from him. And the more apt we are to get on that airplane. Because we feel that push, that drawing. And it's him. And the funny thing is, is the blessing wasn't just for his uncle. That Ken came away a different man. Because he received the saint, the love that God had for him, too. It's awesome. All right. Amen. Isn't it neat how God makes us, like, so complimentary? For me, I have to just decide. I guess just decide. This is the program, and I'm on it, and I'm happy for the love, but it's just a bonus. It's not. It's the whole deal. Let's just pray, and let's get out of here. Father, thank you so much. Oh, thank you that you're so good. Thank you that you're absolutely true thank you that you have no shadow of turning that you are absolutely the manifestation of light that you couldn't cast a shadow there is no light that could be cast over you that could make darkness on the other side because you are light lord i thank you for all these people i thank you for all these people i thank you for all the work you're doing in all of us lord i thank you for miracle hope carpenter and for all the many, many years that we're going to be friends, that we're going to be arm in arm in the manifestation and the moving forward of your kingdom, God. I thank you for the testimony that she's going to share that's going to change lives, that's going to drive back the gates of hell. So, Father, in this I'm now praying for all of us. You can agree or disagree. Say amen at the end if you want to. Mm -hmm. Father, each and every one of us, Lord, all of those that choose, you've given us free will choice, Lord. Choose this day to be rededicated to your purpose, to get back to our first love, to open the door as you stand and knock, that you might come in Mm -hmm. and dine with us, Lord. We dedicate ourselves as disciples, as people who are committed to your purpose, people who have a life no more, that we are dead people to ourselves and to our flesh, but we are alive in you, Lord. So we rededicate ourselves. And those of us that maybe have never been dedicated, then praise God, I pray that you will be dedicating yourselves today. If you're dedicating yourself today, you need to come see me at some time soon so I can make sure you understand exactly what it means scripturally to be born again. Thank you, Lord. We ask your blessing. We ask that we would have greater and greater revelation of you. And we pray. Oh, and Lord, we thank you for the offering that we didn't take. We'll put the basket someplace. Matter of fact, y'all can just throw your thing in the basket if it's not already in there. Lord, we just thank you for it. We ask you to multiply it.